talks about what you're willing to do to make things right or to rescue people or to find if you can have an impact on people's lives. The center of that question, really, in the movie is what has been the center of the Marvel Cinematic Universe for ten years. It's Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Tony Stark, Iron Man. And in the five years since the world got decimated, he has a wife and a child. And at the heart of the movie is the question, or the turning point of the movie is the question, is he willing to chance giving that up if it means he can save half the population of the universe? And it's a dilemma. What are you willing to give up to save people? Now, obviously, we could take today and we could take that question and look at it from God's perspective, and that'd be a real feel-good sermon, right? Because we know the answer to that question. What is God willing to do? Well, John 3.16 tells us that He so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that. We know that God sent His Son, that while we were yet sinners, yet Christ died for us, that He sent Him for us. We can even look at it from the perspective of Jesus, as Philippians 2 tells us, that he who was equal with God did not consider that equality with God something to be held on to, something to be grasped, but instead sacrificed, gave it up, came to earth, lived a life, died for our sins, became obedient even death on the cross for us. Well, those are all true, and we are going to talk about aspects of that within this. What I really want to ask the question today is, what are we willing to do? What are you willing to do to give up, to pursue, to end in order to see people saved? If you've got your Bibles, take them and turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 9. If you brought your Bible with you, you can turn to Luke chapter 9. If you've got it on your phone, putting out the app, or if you don't have either of those in front of you as a Bible, that uh, is the same version from which I'll be reading, the Christian Standard Bible. I'm going to tell you to turn to Luke chapter 9, but go all the way to the end of the chapter. Luke 9 is a long chapter. We're going to pick up in verse 57 in a few moments, but I want to do a couple of things before we get there. Because I mentioned in that trailer, there's a particular moment when Scarlett Johansson's character, Black Widow, says that if there's even a small chance that we could bring them back, then we owe it to the people that are not in this room to do whatever we can to see that it happens. And then there's a montage of several of the characters singing the same phrase, which is, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And when I heard that from a biblical worldview, from a biblical perspective, I thought about a passage of Scripture from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And this is a fascinating passage of Scripture, there are two really, that shows the extent to which Paul is willing to go in order to fulfill God's call in his life to do whatever it takes to find people, to tell people about Jesus. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I think we've got that, we can put on the screen Paul says, although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people 
so that I may by every possible means save some. Now, I do all this because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessings. So Paul says, listen, his job is to take the gospel to as many people as possible. And he says, when I walk into a Jewish house, I speak, I act, I think like a Jewish person. When I walk into a Gentile house, I speak, I act, I think like a Gentile person. In fact, this got Paul in trouble because some of the Jews said, listen, you are, you are, you're talking to Gentiles. You're having supper with Gentiles. You're cohorting with Gentiles. And he was like, yes, because I'm trying to win them to Christ. It got him in trouble because some of the Gentiles said, wait, when you're with the Jewish people, you eat like the Jewish laws. You do Jewish customs. He goes, I'm trying to win them to Christ. He said, whatever it takes, I'm willing to do in order to tell them about Jesus. But he has even a bolder statement than that about doing whatever it takes. Look at what he says over in Romans chapter 9. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit. So he says, what I'm about to tell you is the absolute truth. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. So this is what that means. We don't have time to do a full sermon on this, but let me give you the the nutshell here. What this means is this. Paul has just finished in Romans chapter 8 reminding us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. You know that passage, right? What can separate us then from the love of God? Nothing. Ni height, nor depth, right? Angels, demons, principalities, things above, things below, nothing. In fact, he says absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. The next verses are these, and I'm telling the truth about that. He said, because if I could, and I can't, because all of that keeps me in Christ's love, and I cannot be separated from Christ's love, but he says, if I could... I would be cut off from my own salvation if I knew that it meant the Israelites would be saved. You talk about devotion and compassion and desire to do whatever it takes. He says, I would give up my salvation if I knew that everyone else would be saved. In the movie, Endgame, spoiler alert coming, there's a moment when Iron Man, Tony Stark, realizes that he may have to give up everything he's gained in the last five years in order to attain what needs to be done. Now, you and I may not be ever faced with such a monumental moment with music swelling and gods from Asgard by our side. That may not be where we are. But... The question I want to ask today is, what are you willing to do for the case of Christ? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? I know we're in church, it's Sunday morning, it's worship service. This isn't a good time to say no to that question. So most of us in this room would say, yeah, I'm willing to do. I'm willing to do whatever it is, Pastor. Yes, what is it? What do I need to do? Well, I want to ask you three questions from Luke chapter 9 today that will get at the heart of whether you're really willing to do whatever it takes. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57, says this. As they were traveling, who's they? Well, that's Jesus, his apostles, those that were following him, his disciples. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. 
Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Three people come to Jesus and say, I'm ready. I want to follow. I want to do what you've asked me to do. And three times Jesus challenges them and they don't respond in the correct way. These are the three questions that I want to ask you today or the three questions that he basically asked these guys in their cultural context. And the first one is this. Will you, in following Christ, you say, I'll do whatever it takes. Will you choose comfort or the cross? Luke 9, 57 through 58 says that there was a man coming. We know from the book of Mark that this was a teacher of the law, that he was somebody that was studying the law, following the law, that had been probably following another teacher, that had probably been under the tutelage of another teacher, had been instructed by another teacher. And he comes to Jesus and says, I want to follow you. I want to go wherever you go. I want to listen to you. I want to learn from you. I want to become your disciple. I want to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus looks at him and says, no, you don't. Foxes have dens, birds have skies, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now what's going on here? Here's what's going on. There was this case, probably this guy, this teacher of the law. This isn't a parable. This is a true story. Probably this teacher of the law had heard about Jesus, comes to listen to Jesus. And everyone that wrote about Jesus' teaching said that he taught as no one who had ever taught before. That he had some sort of authority. He had some sort of, of, of charisma. And I, that, that word I don't mean in a bad way. That there was something about his teaching that was true and right and good. And even those that had a hard time believing him recognized it. And so this guy comes and says, man, I want to follow you, Jesus. But there was another aspect of this as well. Another aspect of this is that when you were trying to become a teacher yourself, when you were training as a teacher of the law, you attached yourself to people hoping that you could ride their coattails to become better statured, better understood, that you could have a higher state in society. So basically saying to Jesus, I've been following this other guy, but I think you're better, and I think you can take me higher places, and I think you can give me more prestige. And Jesus looks at him and says, I can't even guarantee a roof over your head. So here's the thing about following Christ. Christianity has never been and will never be on this side of heaven a path to more comfort, higher status, or greater ease, or getting what we want in life. That's not what it is. That Christianity is a call to sacrifice. It's a call to lay down our life. It's a call to surrender. It's a call to give up. It's not a call to get. It's not a call to gain. It's not a call to collect. And this guy was trying to further his career on the coattails of Jesus. And Jesus says, you think you know what you're asking, but that's not where we're going. Now, he wasn't the only one. You remember James and John, the sons of thunder, his disciples, who asked Jesus, when you get to your kingdom, we want to be on your right hand. We want to be right there. Their mother comes and says, which one of my boys is going to be sitting where? And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. But they should have known. Just a couple of verses before this, in Luke 9, 51, Jesus, it says, set his face towards Jerusalem. That this is the turning point in the entire gospel of Luke when he is turning and saying, I am going to Jerusalem. Now you tell me, you know this, you understand the Bible. What's waiting for him in Jerusalem? Crucifixion, the cross. 
Jesus turns his attention to that and says, that's my goal. That's my destination. If they forgot about that, just a few verses before that, in Luke 9, 23, if you know any verse out of Luke 9, you probably know this one. It says, if any man is to come after me, he is to, what? Take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. The call to follow Jesus is a call to come and die. And by the way, listen, this is important to understand. It's not for the super Christians that he calls us that. It's not for the advanced people. It's not for those that have got everything else together. This is the initial call to follow Jesus is come and die. Now we hear that today. Come take up your cross and we treasure the cross. We magnify the cross. We sing about the cross we reverence the cross. We respect the cross. There's a cross behind my head right now. You have it in your homes. My guess is a lot of you have something with the cross in your homes. In your dining room you may have a cross. In your living room you have a cross. In your bedroom you have a cross. Some of you are wearing crosses around your neck or in your ears right now. But for the people of this day and time when he said you're going to take up your cross, it was not something that brought them comfort at all. It'd be like going to dinner at a friend's house and around the table you're sitting in the dining room and you notice that all of the pictures on their walls are of capital punishment devices. There's the electric chair photo over there and there's a needle for a lethal injection there. You walk up to them and shake their hand and the wife is wearing an electric chair on a necklace around her neck. You ain't going back to supper at that house anymore. Right? In fact, you're going to be texting like, you don't believe what is on the walls at this place. Like you're doing the selfie, like, look what's over my head right now. And Jesus' point to them was simply this. To follow me is to come not for comfort, but for a cross. Luke 10.3, just a couple of verses later, says, That he is sending them out like lambs among wolves. Lambs did not go to wolves to find comfort. What's clear is to follow Christ is to be willing to lay down everything in the process. Can I just tell you that as American Christians, we have become way too comfortable in our lives of following Jesus. I was reading this week about um, churches all over the world and how what they have to do to come together to be here to be together as a group of people i read about people in nepal that have to walk carrying a light for miles because they meet in secret when they do it or churches in china that meet in locations that are underground people that weather all kinds of weather hot cold snow ice desert-like intense heat I remember having conversations with my grandmother who grew up. She and my my grandfather, uh, Rex and Nell Edwards, were saved when they were a little later in life. They were 27, 28 years old. My grandfather was running a convenience store in Brazil, Tennessee. Anybody know where Brazil, Tennessee is? It's out west somewhere. It's over near Gibson Wells, if that helps at all. Um, And they were running a grocery store out there. They talked about when they got saved, a guy came through that was doing revival. A guy named Bill Oakley shared the gospel with them. They were saved. They started going to church at Bill Oakley's church, a little church. And they talked about Granny used to have these fans. She used to always have a fan with her. You know what I'm talking about, like the church fans? used to always have the church fans. She'd had a lot of them in her house. And I would say, now, Granny, why do you have all those fans? She said, well, when we used to go to church, we didn't have air conditioning. 
And in the summer, they'd open the windows, and that's how you stay cool. Now, can you imagine on a day like today, just opening windows, having fans out there? That's what they did. Listen, we try to keep it between a three-degree difference in here. And I know when it's not on that range, you know how I know? Because you tell me. And I know all the hot and cold. If you're cold and you want to get hot, come stand under these lights. If you're hot and you want to get cold, those back rows that everybody loves so much, they blow cold air all day. But we, like, expect comfort when we worship. Padded pews. Exactly right temperature, 70 degrees. Some of you are like, 70 degrees? That's too cold. Like, that's what I'm saying. All right, prove my point. If I were the enemy, and I'm not, praise the Lord that I'm on the other team. But if I were the enemy, I would find out, I think, that it's much better to make Christians comfortable than to make them uncomfortable. What are we willing to do to choose the cross over comfort in our lives? What are you willing to do? What are we as a church willing to do to choose the cross over comfort? That's just the first question. And we got two more. Second one. Are we going to settle for maintenance or are we going to sacrifice for mission? Look what happens in verse 59. Now this is the hardest of the three for me to understand, just to be honest with you. As he said to another one, follow me. And he says, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Now, first of all, let's figure out what's going on here because it's kind of a question about exactly where this God's father is in the process of death. There's some that think he's already died. I don't think that's personally the case because if he's already died and the guy is here, then he has neglected his father already. And so I don't think that's what's going on. I think what's happening here, either his father is close to death, they think he's close to death, or he's just saying to Jesus, listen, I want to follow you, but I've got to wait for my dad to die because once he does, I'll have more freedom to be able to do that. Regardless, it still seems like a callous response from Jesus, right? Let's just be honest here. It seems like a callous response from Jesus. You let the dead bury the dead. Come follow me. But the point Jesus is making, and I think this is the same point he's making when in other places he says, unless you hate your mother and father, your brother and sister, unless you hate your family, you can't follow me. I think his point is that what I'm asking you to be a part of is so much more monumentally important that what you are asking me to do is not important at all compared to that. There is an urgency in what Jesus is calling us to do. He says that we are to proclaim the kingdom of God. Well, what does that mean? That means the rule and the reign of God through Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And this is the good news that we have, that God created us for a relationship with him, and we chose to walk away from that. We chose to disobey that. We chose to rebel against that. But God did not allow that to stand, even though we deserved death, even though we deserved hell, even though we deserved eternal punishment. God sent his son, who lived a perfect life, 
and then died for sins. Not his sins, he had none, but our sins. He paid the price for sins, for yours and mine, and then rose again on the third day. And all we have to do is believe in that, trust in that. And since that moment, God has been using people, his people, to spread that gospel throughout the entire earth. And we have the same opportunity to spread the gospel that Paul did, that Peter did, that James and John did, that great Christians throughout the centuries have had, through normal Christians that we've never heard of through the centuries have had. We are part of the greatest mission that has ever been put together in the history of the earth. And he says, comparatively speaking, how important is your dry cleaning? We act like things on our schedule have a major importance. I got to get that done today. I got to get that done. I got to get that done today. And he says, comparatively speaking, are you going to concern yourself with the maintenance of your life or are you going to sacrifice for the mission that I've called you to? When I was growing up, I was, um, we joined First Baptist Dyersburg when I was about four or five years old. And from that moment, um, through the rest of my uh, high school years, my college years, my pastor was a guy named Brother Buddy Boston, Raymond Boston, but he, everybody called him Buddy. And I don't remember a whole lot of the sermons that Brother Boston uh, preaches, which was less less frustrating to me then than it is now when I think about that, right? Like, I don't remember, like, well, I remember these series of messages or that series of messages or what he did here. But there was one day that he said something that has stuck with me ever since, and I assume will stick with me for the rest of my life and into eternity. He just stood up, and Brother Boston was just a casual, he's a good guy, just kind of relaxed guy, and he said, he said, I am always amazed that we have been given the opportunity by God to speak about the eternal destiny of the souls of people. That we have the chance to be a part of that plan. And yet, if you look at the statistics from across America, the number of people being saved in America is declining every year. There are large percentage of churches in America that baptize no one in a year. And there are an even bigger percentage of churches in America, including our own, that baptize far fewer people than we should. Why? Because we have settled for the maintenance of our lives and our schedules instead of sacrificing for the mission that God has called us to do. And there are multitudes of people and churches all across this land who are not heeding the call of God on their lives to talk to their neighbor, to talk to their schoolmates, to talk to their business friends, to talk to the people in their social circles, to talk to the people that they come in contact with on a daily basis, to talk to people about the truth that Jesus Christ loves them. And without Christ, they are sentenced for an eternity in hell. We have chosen maintenance over missions. There are people, I'm convinced, that if this is God's plan, and it is, and we are his instruments, and we are, that there are multitudes of people in our churches all across this land that have missed the calling that God has put on their lives, not just to witness to their neighbor across the street or their neighbor down the street or the co-worker next to them in the cubicle or the person that they are with on a regular basis, but they've missed the calling on their lives to go to the nation's to this nation, to the ends of the earth. I heard this week about a church in South Korea that 25 years ago was a part of one of the greatest revivals that has ever happened in 
the world. In fact, you may not know this or not, but one of the fastest growing areas for Christianity in the last 20 years is South Korea. It is unbelievable what God is doing there. They are now sending, by the way, more missionaries to America than America is sending to there. And in this one church, they were running around that time. They now run more than this. But at that time, they were running 3,000 people, which is a large church. But he got up, the pastor did, and said that I, my goal is that in the future, this church will send out at least 2,000 missionaries around the globe. Now, I don't know if you can do math. I know kids are back in school a little bit, so maybe math brains start to come back. But 2,000 out of 3,000 is two-thirds. 25 years later, they sent out their 2,000th missionary to the world. Will you choose maintenance or ministry, mission, sacrifice for the gospel? And this is the last one, and then we're done. Will you have a life marked by an indecisive mind or an undivided heart? Verse 61. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, first, let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to them, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Many of our tendencies, many of my tendencies or to hear a message, to read a passage like this, to be challenged like this about following Christ, and say, man, I've got to do something. I've got to do something different. I've got to do something. And I, I don't know what that is, but I'm going to do something. And then we don't really decide what that is. And then tomorrow it's a little less important in our mind. And next week it's less important still. And then a month from now we've kind of forgotten about it. And then six months from now we hear another message. We hear another tape. We listen to another thing and read another section of the Bible. And we're like, oh, I've got to do something about it. And we go from indecisiveness to indecisiveness. From not committing to not committing. And scripture teaches us that the only way that we show an undivided heart is through obedience. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you can't look back. Three questions. Will you choose comfort or the cross? Will you choose the maintenance of here and now? Will you settle for that? Or will you surrender, sacrifice for mission? Will your life be marked by an undivided heart or an indecisive mind? Here's the thing. Avengers Endgame is a fictional telling of high stakes where the fate of the world rested in a few people that decided to come together and do whatever it takes. What we are dealing with here is not a fictional tale of superheroes. It is the very real reality that our God has called us to be a part of the kingdom building ministry that he is working in our world. There's a moment near the end of Avengers Endgame that people that are comic book fans, I'm not a guy that grew up reading comic books, but people that are comic book fans have been waiting for for the entire 23 movies. It's a moment at the very end when they attempt to do what needs to be done and people, I mean, shocking, happy ending happens for the most part. People all come back. All the superheroes that had been snapped out of existence all begin to appear and Captain America, as the leader of the crew, yells, Avengers, assemble. 
And behind them you see this massive force that's ready to take on the forces of evil. Imagine what it would be like if the people who are followers of Jesus Christ on this earth could in some way simulate that kind of moment when we gather together to take on the forces of evil and take the gospel of the kingdom of Christ to people that are desperately in need. When God's people assemble, it's called the church. May we be the gospel-carrying people that God's called us to be. May we do whatever it takes. Let's pray together.